Greetings again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of OSI Today, the podcast featuring news and views from around the Office of Special Investigations. I'm Wayne Amon from OSI Public Affairs, and in this edition, we continue our special series, My OSI Journey, which showcases the diversity and inclusion of our command-wide members. And today, I'm so very pleased to be joined by Lieutenant Colonel Tasha Vick, commander of the 12th Field Investigation Squadron at Buckley Space Force Base, Colorado. Colonel Vick, welcome to the program. So great to have you with us. Thank you, sir. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate you having me on. Now, uh, in, in checking your uh, uh, biography uh, before we went on the air today, uh, I noticed that uh, you got a Bachelor of Science degree in psychology with an emphasis in law and criminal behavior from uh, California Lutheran University back in 2003. Now, that leads me into my first question. Is that uh, when and how you uh, originally became interested in law enforcement and then subsequently OSI? Yes, it is, actually. So um, out of high school, I had an Air Force ROTC scholarship. Uh, Both of my parents had been in the Army, and actually both of my brothers had gotten Army uh, ROTC scholarships. But me being uh, the baby and the girl, (laughs) I was encouraged to uh, apply for the Air Force. And uh, so I was lucky enough to get a scholarship for psychology. Um, That was back when you had to declare your major to get the scholarship. Uh-huh. And I think I just barely snuck in before you had to have like an engineering degree to get any sort of Rossi scholarship. <laughs> <laughs> so you made yeah. it out of the wire. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody kind of says that as they get older. It's like, I'm not sure I would have made it, you know, the next time. Right. So right. Um, I loved psychology in high school and uh, I, I was a gymnast. And so actually what I was doing is I was coaching gymnastics on the side while I was in college. Uh-huh. Uh, but ROTC uh, scheduled a career day. And uh, during that career day, actually, one of our former ROTC cadets had become an OSI agent and she was at Edwards and she came back for career day. Uh-huh. And as I was kind of going through, you know, the different jobs that psychology might kind of, you know, fit with and everything, um, OSI was the one that stood out for me. I didn't, I decided, no, I didn't want to be an Air Force psychologist. I didn't want to do this and that. And um, and it kind of it changed my trajectory, really, because after that day and knowing how difficult it was to get into OSI, I planned everything to try and make myself as marketable as possible to get into OSI. So uh-huh. I quit my job coaching gymnastics and I applied to be uh, a student aide with the Ventura County Sheriff's Department. And uh, luckily, I got that job and I started working with the criminal analysts there. And I was making photo lineups for the detectives and, you know, learning a lot more about law enforcement. And I'm not sure if that's also when I went ahead and added my emphasis in long criminal behavior. But, you know, there it was, you know, just psychology. And then I kind of, you know, started to shape everything towards that goal of getting into OSI. Right. 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 And it seems to me uh, in talking to other uh, uh, special agents within the command, uh, Colonel, that uh, psychology uh, does play a major part in, uh, in, in investigations and thing along, things along that line. Is that right? Absolutely. And I think that it actually helps me, too, as a leader, because uh, I find all that stuff very interesting. Right. You know, I've continued to read books like uh, Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. And I love the Howard Ross stuff and Unconscious Bias and I think unconscious bias is as important as an investigator as it is a leader, right? So uh-huh. um, those sort of things and that love of psychology, I think, helps as an investigator and also as an Air Force officer. 
Right, right. Now, uh, uh, and again, re- referencing your biography, uh, the next year in 2004 is when you uh, went into the um, uh, Special Investigations Academy for OSI. And then uh, uh, you that's where I guess the ball really got rolling for you because you've had a very uh, eclectic uh, OSI career since then. You've done a lot of amazing things. Uh, uh, it must give you a lot of uh, satisfaction knowing that uh, your career began uh, at such a, a, a good trajectory uh, for you in the future. Yes, sir. Yeah. So um, it was actually interesting. I think it almost really started in college because uh, in ROTC, again, they had a program specifically between your junior and senior year in the summer mm-hmm. that you were uh, applied for. And I applied for Ops Air Force OSI. And, oh, okay. um, and I got that right. So I think that yeah. was summer of 2022. And I, I felt super lucky. I got Aviano Air Base Italy. So you ah, know, I'm in okay. college and I'm, you know, <laughs> traveling to Italy. Right. And I got to shadow OSI agents there. And um, I, it's kind of interesting because that was when I was introduced to counterintelligence as well. Since I had a secret clearance, they went ahead and let me look at the blue line and, and do all that sort of stuff. And right. I honestly didn't, I I guess I didn't even realize that was probably somewhat of an interview, my time there. Um, And in the end, it was at the time, Major Givens, um, but who became General Givens, I guess, who actually then wrote the recommendation for me to uh, come into OSI. So... yeah, General Givens. Yeah, that's a pretty uh, good start, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, for our for our uh, novice listeners out there, uh, General Givens uh, became uh, one of our commanders at uh, OSI. So that uh, uh, definitely uh, uh, was a was a great uh, step uh, for your career, no doubt about that. Now, uh, when you began your career with OSI, uh, did you find there were any challenges that you faced uh, once you became a member of the command, and uh, and if so, uh, how did you overcome them? Absolutely. So I think it's overwhelming coming straight into OSI. So even though, you know, I was a military family and, uh, you know, kind of knew about the army a little bit, I didn't know how an Air Force wing was run. Right. And so just little silly things like, uh, you know, getting the first sergeant's roster to know what phone numbers to call and silly things like that right? just seemed overwhelming as a (laughs) 21-year-old coming in trying to start out because I wasn't just learning how to be an investigator and how to be uh, an officer. I was learning the Air Force and the structure and, you know, it was everything all at the same time, right? Right. And I would imagine imagine too, ma'am, that was uh, all the terminology involved. So you have to, it's it's a completely different mindset almost, I guess. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, looking back, I... I guess I was a little bit jealous of the people that are now I am right of staff sergeants or people who cross train because they at least understood how the air force worked. Uh-huh, right? right. And that, you know, I just had no idea. Just somebody says, Hey, call a first sergeant, you know, and at that time, like, I don't even really know what a first sergeant is. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I think sure. one of the, the first cases that they actually had me uh, just assist on, right. I wasn't the main case agent or anything. I was kind of just shadowing the other agent doing it. Um, was a WAPS compromise case. And as somebody uh-huh. who had just graduated from college, I was like, people are getting in trouble for studying for a test. I'm kind of confused. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. So sure. I, I just remember there was a lot of uh, things that I had to learn and kind of overcome and, and really get on board with. It's funny to think back at how 
how little I knew when I first started. Oh, sure. I would imagine it was a tremendously eye-opening experience for you. But uh, uh, again, that's uh, one of the great things, I guess, about OSI is, is the challenges that uh, many uh, that uh, either cross-train or come directly into OSI uh, face. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a job that uh, requires you to really uh, uh, have, have a good focus on, I guess. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think that's kind of the good thing about being an investigator, right? We were, we're curious, we're interested in things. So you, you just tackle, you know, you, you jump into anything and you just try and tackle whatever is in front of you, right? You know, move right, the obstacles right. out of the way and, and just figure it out. <laughs> sure, sure. Now, uh, Colonel Webb, who or what inspires you to do your best in OSI? That's a good question. Um, so did, did your inspiration maybe uh, begin maybe with your parents who were in the military? Because uh, a lot of people say that, uh, you know, we allowed to give credit to mom and dad uh, for a lot of things. Right, right. Absolutely. Well, I'd say um, absolutely. I mean, there's so many things in my career and my life that wouldn't be the way they are without the experiences that I had as a child and especially as an army brat. Um, I'd especially say, you know, I lived in Turkey when I, I was in seventh grade, right? Uh-huh. And I probably wouldn't have applied for the foreign area studies program uh, and, and picked Turkish if I hadn't had that experience, right? So it's kind right. of changed, right. or it's inspired my whole trajectory, right? The experiences that I had as a child. Uh-huh. Whereabouts, um, in, whereabouts in Turkey were uh, uh, you at, or, or I guess your folks were stationed there? Yeah, so my dad was actually in a NATO position, and he worked directly for a Turkish general. And so mm. we lived in Izmir, Turkey, because it was a, a NATO position at the time. Right. And then, right. of course, when I come back uh, active duty and I speak Turkish, all my assignments are in Indralik, which is the southeastern part of Turkey. Right, the, right. I guess what I'd say, the really exciting for our OSI job, but not the beautiful, you know, Izmir is right on the Aegean Sea. And sure. <laughs> well, I can certainly relate. I can certainly relate to Angelic, man, because I was I was stationed there, too, as a broadcaster. So uh, I know the lick very well. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. So I've, I've been signed there twice. And, I, you know, I do love Angelic and, and it is pretty in its own right, too. And you just have to drive a little ways to get to the Mediterranean. But right, um, right. it's just definitely different from from Izmir. Right. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would say, you know, obviously my parents have always expected a lot and um, inspired greatness. And, um, you know, I think now my husband, he continues to inspire me. He is amazing. And uh, we've been doing this joint spouse career together for almost 20 years. We're both very close to getting to where we could retire, right? Not, right. I'm not sure that we will retire right at 20 years, but um, and then, uh, with our kids as well. So mm-hmm. I'm actually really proud that we've been able to do this together and, uh, you know, have a family and all that stuff. So I think it's great that I can show our kids that, you know, mom and dad can both work and have a good career. Um, we haven't done it all on our own. I'm not going to lie. We call it the, the GRF. We call it the grandma reaction force uh, that we had to call up. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> yeah. So it, sometimes they're doing deployments while we're doing deployments. So while I'm in Afghanistan, they're uh, deploying to England or wherever we are at the time. <laughs> right. Right. And in, and in checking your uh, recent biography, ma'am, uh, uh, you're, you're a two commander family uh, with your husband being a, uh, a civil engineering squadron commander uh, as well. So, uh, you know, kudos to the to the commanders in the uh, Vic family. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, yeah, he is definitely super busy over there at Kunsan, the uh, the CE 
commander there, the infrastructure is just falling apart. So <laughs> I know that it's not an easy job to have. Everybody hates CE there because it's he'll call in the morning and we talk for only about like five minutes because it's like midnight his time. But it, he'll be like, the water boiler just went out here. And now these people don't have hot water for showers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> definitely, not... That's definitely a challenge. No <laughs> doubt about that. Uh, yeah. It kind of uh, shifting gears just a tad here, ma'am. Um, uh, we go from inspiration to, say, gratification. And, and before we uh, get into the question, you mentioned something uh, in an email to me before we uh, went on the air that uh, uh, you said the most gratifying part of the job has evolved for you over the years. Could you kind of expound on that a little bit for our listeners? So I'd say, you know, when I was younger, it was obviously more me-centric, right? You know, I I don't want to say it was like selfish, but it, in that sort of way, right? It right. was all about what I was doing in my cases and running them and, and having success uh, at, at my own small level. Right. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And uh, now obviously it's continuing to do well and have good results, but it's mentoring other agents and putting them in for words and seeing them succeed. And that is absolutely the best. And I would say, as I've gotten older, that is so much more gratifying than even the personal success. Right. I you know, sure, so while, sure while you may have gotten a conviction or you said like, Hey, I had a really great source. I had all these wonderful, you know, drug cases. We cleared up, you know, the drug problem at this base. When you do it on a bigger scale, it's so much better. Right. And it's kind uh-huh. of hard to explain that until you experience it. It's some people will equate it to it's something kind of like having kids. Right. I'm not going to say that the, you know, my office is like having children, right? Right, <laughs> but, right, right. <laughs> but it's, a, you know, kind of that same sort of pride. So if you, you know, haven't been a leader, then it'd be something akin to that, right? Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting uh, uh, that, you know, you can equate that to, you know, being, of course, uh, you know, uh, you have, you have children yourself, ma'am, uh, I, I believe, and uh, mm-hmm. you and your husband. And so uh, um, you, you like to feel like you can nurture your your uh, teammates on the job, you can, you know, nurture the children. So uh, I guess the, uh, you know, the, uh, the taking care of the folks that you're responsible for uh, is, is a job that uh, really is a 24 uh, seven duty. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's the amazing part about the military, right? We are a family because we do deploy and you know that it's hard to stay at the home station and take care of the home front. So you're, um, calling the spouses and ensuring that everything's okay. And, you know, they don't have a water leak that they're, you know, yeah, trying to deal yeah. with or whatever. Right. So, sure, sure. and I, I have a unique experience being dual military and I have talked to some people's retirements and I've said, Hey, you know what? It's a much harder to be the spouse. Like I have to do both, right. I have to deploy and also be the person that stays at home. And yeah, yeah. Uh, it's much more difficult to stay at home and take care of everything in the home front because yeah. Yeah. All that is taken care of and you're just off doing your job, right? When you're deployed. Sure, so, sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a multiple hat uh, responsibility. There is no doubt about that. Very well said, ma'am. Now, uh, let's uh, kind of go back in time a little bit if we can. Uh, uh, if you could do it all over again, and I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but uh, if you could do it all over again, is there anything that you would change about your OSI career? No, I wouldn't actually. I, I know I definitely didn't have the what you would call typical OSI career path because uh, my husband is also active duty and we always tried to stay together, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. The last six years haven't we haven't been great at that, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's but that's been always our focus, right? And um, 
I'd actually have to say my most challenging experience was my out of command experience. So once I got comfortable in OSI, uh, Colonel Blackwell actually said it great. She is a former vice commander of OSI, but at the time she was region eight commander. And my husband was gonna, he he got a program to get a PhD and he had gotten into Cambridge. And so Uh there wasn't really an OSI job for me. Um, at least not the right rank. Right. Right. And So OSI, everybody was supportive of me doing an out-of-command position at that time. It kind of fit with my career. And it was an XP job. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go do plans and programs. That'll be interesting. And I show up and I walk off and there's a senior master sergeant. And I'm a brand new major. And he's like, hi, ma'am, so nice to meet you. You're a new director of staff. And I was like, I knew enough to know, wait, directors (laughs) of staff are usually lieutenant colonels. And that's like a bigger deal. Right, right, right. Yeah, surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So I was... Whoa. So some people have asked me, you know, what has been the hardest rank change? And for me, it was going from captain, captain to major, uh-huh. because ever since I pinned on major, I have ended up filling what has been 05 billets. And so I'd say that transition right there was the absolute hardest. And I Colonel see. Blackwell was absolutely right. She said, you know, you learn the most when you're stretched, right? And you get right, this good right. breath. And sure. You know, at the time, I probably didn't really know what she meant. And I I certainly did after having that job. So the first six months, I was like, send me back to OSI. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing. Um, And I think I put it in in my bio because there was, it's an unusual wing, right? There's 16 different AFSCs that are on the wing staff, which is Uh unusual because finance usually has its own squadron. Logistics usually has its own squadron. And all of these things were small enough that they weren't their own squadron and that they fell under the wing staff. And I was put on G series orders and I was the commander of the wing staff agencies. Um, So while I I wouldn't change it for the world, I kind of changed your question. Sorry. That that was probably the, the hardest uh, job that I ever had, but it also really, really prepared me to be the best officer that I could be in the Air Force. I completely understand how a wing is run now, right? right you know, from right. back from when I was a second lieutenant and didn't understand what a first sergeant was, right? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, you certainly, so, you've certainly come a long way uh, in, in, in your own personal military education when it comes to, you know, you know in and out of the, the particular job. Yeah, yeah. I think it's been... I've had kind of a, a bit of that, right? Some of them have been OSI centric, like working at a combatant command as in a kick position that is an OSI billet. Um, but uh, yeah, I feel like lately it's been a lot of, you know, kind of a, a joint position and then back into OSI or out of command or right. And then kind of sure. coming back and forth. Sure. But well, right. Yeah. Un- unbelievable. Uh, yeah. I know a lot of people have gone through uh, very eclectic parts of their careers, but uh, uh, you have uh, one of the more eclectic ones that uh, I've run into. So, uh, you know, good on you and uh, the way you've uh, <laughs> met that challenge and uh, prospered uh, uh, within that challenge. Now, uh, let's put on your your, uh, uh, your your crystal ball a little bit, if we can, uh, for a second, ma'am. What mm-hmm. direction do you envision OSI going into the future? So I think OSI is going to continue to modernize, right? I think there's things that I noticed when I was younger that, uh, you know, if you think of something and then all of a sudden they continue to fix it, right? So when I first came in, we were moving from uh, Cactus to I2MS and I2MS was so slow, but I, I understood, you know, like, it's amazing that our headquarters can see what I'm putting in immediately. Um, right. But it was, it was a drain on the agents, right? And so 
OSI has really done a great job of continuing to modernize and improve. And, um, and while maybe it doesn't happen as fast as you would like in the field, <laughs> they, they, they actually have done it at a really wonderful speed. Right, and right. Uh, I think that that's just going to continue to happen. We're going to probably keep working towards having JWICs at, um, hopefully at every detachment, right? That's kind of a big system that I think um, we need to kind of keep pushing forward and focusing on the things that we are focusing on now, right? right. Like counterintelligence. Right. And, um, you know, I think that there's obviously going to be that continued focus on integration and preparing the battle space, right? The ACE concept right. and right. continuing to ensure that we're on tip bids and, and getting us in the fight and making sure that we're a part of the plans. Right, right. Yeah, with with as many uh, changes that are going on in the around the globe these days, uh, you have to you have to stay one or two steps ahead of uh, the bad guys, if they, as you say. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. And I I think that our leaders, uh, you know, I've never been assigned to the headquarters, which is interesting because I would think a joint spouse we probably would be, but we haven't been because of uh, you know our assignments. But right. Um. So the folks that are making the decisions up there have done a really good job of, um, you know, really getting us to where we need to be. And I sure. think we'll just keep, keep pushing forward. Very good. And I think one of the areas, uh, Colonel, that uh, we're pushing forward as a command is uh, diversity and inclusion, which is a, a very uh, uh, popular topic uh, of late. Uh, how do you view diversity and inclusion as far as being foundational to the success of the Office of Special Investigations? As you know, as an investigator, we have to come from all different backgrounds, especially to relate to people that we're talking to in an interview room or maybe liaisoning with, right? So, mm -hmm. um, you know, Colonel Tilo is from Samoa, right? And he was right. the region six commander and he created so many uh, relationships while he was out there just from him having that background and that ethnicity, right? And right. that's not something that anybody else can replicate because they aren't Samoan, right? Right, right. So, just having people from all different walks of life, all different um, experiences is, is critical to our job and being successful in what we do. Um, the I irony of it is uh, I was actually going through Air War College at, uh, by correspondence at the time. And, you know, they have you write papers. And at one point it was right. talking about something you thought that your organization needed to do. Uh -huh. And my paper was literally all about how OSI needed to create a DNI office that was uh -huh. specifically focused on diversity and inclusion. And literally, like I turned in the paper and like three <laughs> days later, there's an email from the general saying, we've created a DNI office. You had tremendous foresight, Colonel. <laughs> right. No, not at all. Like, obviously, they've been working it for forever. It was just, you know, just a small little paper, but I just thought it was really funny. You know, yeah. I'm doing this in a vacuum and obviously our headquarters is handling it, but yeah, timing, 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 our, timing is everything, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Something I say to our folks all the time, though, is, you know, I want I want a diverse team, right? I want somebody who grew up on a farm and, and knew how to, you know, farm and do that stuff. And I want somebody who grew up in a city and knows trains and understands that because, you know, who knows what situation we're going to be put in if we're deployed or we're someplace else yeah, or yeah. maybe we're even just TDY. And I want somebody that has all the different experiences on our team to be able to kind of stand up and be like, I know I can do that. Right. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. you know, it's not just a lot of times people talk about just race or gender and that sort of thing. And I'm like, it's not uh, just that it's just your background entirely. Right. Just right, having people right. that have different backgrounds and um, grew up differently and have different skills. Right. Yeah. They're all part of the, the, the command known as the OSI family. Uh, right. Now, uh, 
put on your recruiting hat for a second, if you can, ma'am, and uh, uh, tell us uh, what advice would you give someone who would like to join OSI? So the first thing I'd say is uh, stay curious. And I mean that in terms of investigating as well as your job and, and everything, right? Don't, don't become jaded. Don't, uh, you know, think, oh, I've seen this before, right? You, the whole thing is that everything is new. Look at everything that's walking is, is a new adventure and, and yeah. stay curious and really dig in, right? And it's the same thing as, uh, you know, our, our key phrase is saying, have a hunter mindset, right? Sure. Um, sure. So I'm just saying it in a different way. <laughs> right. No, 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 you're absolutely right. Uh, and, and, and that curiosity served you well when you began your OSI career too. Right, right. And it's, I, they, there's so many things that I would tell people when they're coming in. Obviously, communication is, is critical, right? Just continue to communicate and talk to people. There's so many things that can be fixed with good communication. Um, you know, what I tell people as soon as I take uh, command of a detachment is like, hey, I don't know what's going on in your life unless you tell me, right? So right, if there is right. something happening with you, and you need to take leave, you need time, just tell us, right? And and that's, that's the biggest thing is just communicate what is going on with you that is maybe preventing you from, from doing your best or right, whatever is right. happening at that moment. Right. Right. Um, the other things I'd say are never stop innovating, you know, don't necessarily uh, accept the status quo if the status quo isn't working, you know, if it's sure. working fine, but, right, right. Um, you know, that's the whole uh, accelerate change or uh, fail. Right. Mm-hmm. So we need to continue to innovating or fail forward as the saying is as well. Um, sure. And then the, the final thing I think I would tell somebody is a work will always be there. Um, and so make sure that you maintain a good work-life balance with your family. Um, it's easy to kind of let work take over. Um, right. So you need to make sure that you continue to maintain that balance, take your leave, recharge, do what mm-hmm. you need to do. Um, and I know it's kind of funny right now in the COVID world where everything's virtual and people are like, well, I'm at home, you know, but it's like, well, you are, but you're also, you know, take leave and actually like disconnect and do stuff with your family, go camping, you know? Um, so those are the things that I would say, because it can be, uh, stressful and overwhelming and, um, and taking care of your mental health is extraordinarily important, right. In this job, because sometimes I think. We forget how much um, bad things, or uh, that's not a very articulate way to say it. The, we, we see a lot of the bad in the air sure, force. Sure, sure, yeah. Good, which right? is which is a part of 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 the the skill sets that uh, special agents have to deal with. Right, right, and so it's, it's interesting. I was just talking to our digital forensics consultant, flight chief, uh, yesterday, and I was like, "Hey, you know, do you want to be bringing the chaplain and kind of just make everybody?" go in there, right? Schedule the time. And he's like, well, we have to talk to the, you know, psychologist once a year. And I was like, ah, I get it. But you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> very good. Very good. Uh, Colonel, before we wrap things up today, uh, is there anything else that you'd like to add? What I'd say is if you're looking at a career in law enforcement, OSI is unique and uh, special. You get to dabble in a lot of different things in, in OSI that you might not necessarily get to do um, in just regular law enforcement, right? Um, and it's it's definitely a very rewarding experience. And um, if, you, if that's what you're into, I would uh, highly recommend it. Okay. 
Our guest has been Lieutenant Colonel Tasha Vick, commander of the 12th Field Investigation Squadron at Buckley Space Force Base, Colorado. Colonel, thanks again for taking the time to be with us. It was so uh, enjoyable to talk to you today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you. And thanks to all of you listening for tuning in. For OSI Today, my OSI journey, I'm Wayne Amon saying so long for now.